Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Megan Calusi from Sunnyvale, California. Megan will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Gabby Dunn. And these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedurals, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are The Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at Special Victims Unit, Season 19, Episode 13, The Undiscovered Country. I suppose you want to talk to me about ADA Barba. He is the best ADA that I've ever worked with. He is honest and honorable. But I can't have my ADAs running around killing people. It's unbecoming. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Netflix You Can't Make This Up podcasts, Rebecca Lavoy. Hello, Rebecca. Kevin, I am more excited to be here than Jack McCoy's eyebrows were excited to be in this episode. <laughs> Rounding out our panel is our special guest from the Bad With Money podcast, Gabby Dunn. Hi, Gabby. Hi, thank you for having me. I listened to your show. I just want to get this on record because I said it before. I listened to your show and it's very weird to hear your voices uh, talking to me. <laughs> Thumbs up, Gabby. Thumbs up. <laughs> it's weird to hear our own voices too. Yeah, I'm sure. So I take it you started a podcast, Bad With Money, because you are excellent with money? Yeah, that's exactly why. No, I am... Um, <laughs> I was uh, very bad with money and I didn't really have an excuse to get better at it or to learn anything. And and primarily like bad with money can be something that you are even if you're wealthy or have money because you might just like not know what you're spending. You might not know your bu a budget. You might not know how to do retirement. Um, it's mostly just like ignorance rather than some sort of like internalized flaw or you're an idiot or something. And so I started from scratch, beyond scratch, in debt, whatever. And uh, and then I've been learning over the last four years and the audience learns with me. So it's a very accessible podcast if you're scared of finance podcasts. Hmm. I am scared how bad of money I will turn out to be if I listen to your podcast and I realize that I 
totally don't have my act together. I relate to where you started, and I think I might still be there. So Rebecca, you need to subscribe. I'm going to check this out immediately. <laughs> <laughs> we got kids in college, and we're broadcasting from our basement. It's Come true. On. <laughs> oh yeah, a lot of people are like, I'm. I love the idea of your show. I'm way too anxious to listen to it. But then eventually they get there. They'll be like, it took me a couple years. I'm like, yeah, yeah. No, I know. It's like a thing you have to build up to do. <laughs> First, you have to admit you have a problem, right? Yeah. Exactly. There's like a whole step before you can start listening to the podcast. Gabby, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite Law & Order detective team? Favorite Law & Order detective team? Uh, well, uh, Munch and Finn, obviously. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> who doesn't love that? And then, I mean, I'm more like a big SVU fan. And so I actually really liked uh, when Olivia was paired with Nick. Mm. Um, I know he was supposed to be like a stabler replacement, um, but I didn't mind. I, I liked him. I didn't mind his whole angry dude thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I always I uh, I always liked when I mean, it's they don't they don't have cons- or for a little while, the last few years, they haven't really had like consistent partners like they switch a lot. Right. So I always liked when Carisi was with Finn just for like and Finn seemed to have had enough of it and like or <laughs> they were both uh, nerds. I liked the episode where they were both gamers. We found out. <laughs> oh, you mean the where they had to go to the gaming convention? Yeah. yeah and Rollins convention. was like, what are we doing here? I love that episode. It's one of my all time yeah. favorites. Yeah, it's a good one. But I love Munch and Finn just because it's like such a clear uh, crazy person, straight man dynamic that i don't know i miss munch all the time and gabby who's your favorite prosecutorial team favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team oh barba um, <laughs> by a mile uh everyone i don't know i love i i love barba um i also you know i'm queer so i have to say alex Mm. Uh, that is lesbian icon Alex Cabot. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know, Barba, I, there are a lot of us out there that really fell in love with Barba and he became like number one for life. Oh, I know. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I think Olivia felt the same way, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe. I don't know. I, Olivia's love life is very elusive to me. It makes little to no sense ever. All right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode, SVU Season 19, Episode 13, The Undiscovered Country. We begin with OGDA Jack McCoy giving a eulogy for a character no one has given a shit about since 1994. <laughs> <laughs> ben Stone has died, but his only son, Peter, who flew in from Chicago, declines to speak at the funeral. Ooh. Cut to Maggie Householder, who comes home to find the babysitter tied up and her critically ill infant snatched by her husband. It's called mitochondrial DNA depletion syndrome. It's a genetic thing. It causes muscle weakness that rapidly progresses. So soon Drew won't be able to breathe on his own. Because Aaron Householder rented a ventilator, they can track him to a seaside condo. Liv says, I'll go in unarmed and talk him out. And Aaron says he kidnapped his son because Maggie wants to let him die. The squad learns baby Drew has a rare genetic disease, and the couple are in a legal battle over his life support. Barba is troubled over whether to prosecute Aaron because he's got his own dead daddy issues to deal with. 
He visits Maggie at the hospital where the baby has no brain function and is being kept alive by machine. Barbara suggests Maggie just switch the ventilator off, but she can't bring herself to do it. Instead, Barbara sends her away so he can do it himself. Mm. Okay, so let's start at the top. Sam Waterston mm. gets to do what Dick Wolf has wanted to do for three decades, bury Michael Moriarty. <laughs> A man shouldn't do what he can, he said. He should do what he must without regard for consequence or repercussion. That's what makes us moral, Ben added. And God help us if we lose that. So, like that, the world is a sadder place. The noblest of hearts has cracked. Goodbye, Ben Stone. <laughs> oh, but the whole scene, all I could think was, oh, this is how we got Peter Stone. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It was not a great introduction. I mean, it was very like that he was on Chicago Justice. That was canceled. And then they were like, we want to keep the Peter Stone character. So they just hop, skip, jumped him over to SVU. Uh, and it, I don't know. It was very like I felt very um, forced to me. <laughs> mm. So McCoy gives us in his eulogy that line about do what we must, mm. which sort of guides Barbara through the rest of this episode. Does mm-hmm. it? But, yeah, <laughs> you could say so. Can I just say up top that I hate this episode with a uh, thousand fire of a thousand suns. <laughs> I hate it so much. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. I Same. can't believe how dumb it is. And I'm sorry to anyone who, who wrote it or whatever. It was like, I'm sorry to rule Esparza. I'm sorry uh, to everyone. But it is the stupidest exit and the stupidest episode. And it was so out of character for Barba. I don't even I don't even understand what I watched the first time I watched it. Amen. So let's cut to the crime here that's sort of driving this along. Sandy? Mom leaves her 11-month-old respirator-requiring baby with the 14-year-old girl from next door. To go buy a dress. To go buy a dress. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wouldn't you have, like, a visiting nurse? You wouldn't just have Susie Pigtails come in and... <laughs> I mean, all I could think of, and this is dark, and I apologize, but mm-hmm. again, this is a fictional baby we're talking That's about, right. Right? right? On a fictional yes. ventilator. Yeah. Easiest yes. babysitting gig Ever. <laughs> well, yeah. you don't know that. She might come, Gabby, she might come home and say to mom, well, you know, I put him down and then I had to intubate him. Yeah, I mean, you would know. You need like a trained nurse or something. Also, I would, if I was the babysitter, I'd be in there constantly being like, is he breathing? Is he breathing? Is he breathing? Oh like, I would be so scared. <laughs> That's $15 an hour you earn. Yeah, if you're watching your friend's dog and the dog dies on your watch, you know what I mean? That's like, I that's the same, times a thousand. You'd be like, oh, yeah. this baby better not kick it while I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I thought when you said we're going to talk about the real crime in this episode, I thought it was going to be something different. The real crime? This is the season I refer to as Olivia Benson's Bitmoji hair season. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, yeah. Where she legit looks like she has, you know, Kevin, you know what a Bitmoji is? I do. I have is a that, like Is that avatar you make yeah. of yourself on your phone? She legit has one of those like we me slash Apple Bitmoji hairstyles this whole uh. season. And I cannot see past it. And I know that's shallow. But that's just where I'm at with this show at this point in my life. That's mm. the Benson hair that you have a problem with? <laughs> that <laughs> particular one? Yeah, exactly. There's been a few. So uh. Liv does that whole thing where she 
it's gonna go i'm going in the hostage situation and everyone's like no don't do it and she's all like look i'm taking my leather gloves off i'm serious and she gets there can i see drew he's sleeping i just want to check and see if he's okay right nice and easy and it's essentially this empty seaside condo with just a crib mm. a ventilator mm. and a card table and two chairs i want to ask why does this guy have two chairs? <laughs> was he expecting someone? They, they came as a pair. You had to get two at the Home Depot. Uh, was this like an Airbnb? Like completely unfurnished except for torture furniture? <laughs> I mean, I, who knows? Like, was he planning this the whole time? He had the condo ready. Did he act? Did he break in and take over a condo? Like, what? what is his plan? And then is his plan to just like, live out the rest of his life in this condo with his baby on a ventilator? Like, where where do we go from here? Hey, he had to contact Con Edison to turn the electricity on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that ventilator needs... That's true. He needs some air. Needs some serious, serious power, right? Mm. Yeah. Also, I love, again, Liv being like, you know what, I'll just... By the way, Dodds died from going into a hostage situation. <laughs> true. Like, yeah. five minutes ago. And we're like, you know what? Let's let her do this again. The, the yeah. like, I, the like, um, retconning of their brains after one thing happens. It's like 51st dates every fucking episode. Sorry, am I allowed to curse? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can. Let it fly. Uh, it's like every, every time. I'm like, she, I can't believe she's going into a hostage situation when Dodds just got shot in a hostage situation. <laughs> and the guy kind of like happens to walk by the, picture window and there's this wild guy he's like i got a shot i got a shot okay no guns down that's an order just no don't shoot yeah why the way why would you shoot exactly. just on your own <laughs> oh i got God. him i'm here to kill him right that's yeah. the no it's the default position in sheep's head bay apparently <laughs> I can't. no one gets out of here alive yeah. so while they're all wringing their hands over whether to charge aaron with kidnapping his dying child they're like oh what's the legal system gonna do Remember, he tied up the babysitter at gunpoint and stuffed her in a closet. Paintball gunpoint. Paintball. <laughs> Still tied her up like a freaking turkey and True. threw her in the... She was terrified. That's fine, She'll though. never be the same. She'll never be the same. Yeah, so are they going to charge him with kidnapping? Like, not just the baby, but... I guess he didn't take her to a second location. What do you get charged with if you just tie someone up at gunpoint and leave them? A crime. Isn't it called something <laughs> like unlawful arrest? Yeah. Uh, unlawful imprisonment. Yes, unlawful imprisonment. Yeah. Something like that. Yes. Criminal mischief. There's a million things they could charge him with. Assault. We don't care about the babysitter. We don't care about her at all anymore. No follow up. Yeah, everybody kind of overlooked that. Poor yeah. babysitter. Yeah. She so earned that 15 bucks an hour. She totally did. Still one of the easiest babysitting gigs. The, the baby didn't die, and she got held up at Yet. The baby didn't gunpoint. die yet. Didn't yeah. Die. Yes. All right, let's take a look at our cast. It's our very special guest star, Mr. Samuel Atkins Waterston. <laughs> Yay! Atkins. Oh, you love yes. to see it. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, it's Atkinson, yes. Okay. Mr. Samuel Atkinson Waterston. Atkinson. Yeah, he's best known as the father of James Waterston, who starred in Dead Poets Society. Oh, stop it. He's best known as that? Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Got a deal. Offer him probation. Go to church. Say three Hail Marys. Then come back here and finish off that bottle. He's had, let's see... 384 Law and Order Universe appearances. Yep, sounds about right. Four on SVU. Mm. 
So, uh, Sam Waterston, his father was a diplomat. His mother was a Mayflower descendant. Mm. He went to Yale and the Sorbonne. He has distant cousins with George Bush and Franklin D. Roosevelt. So, you know, an everyday Joe. He looks regal. (laughs) He does look regal. Yeah. There's something waspy about him. He looks like the uncle who would offer to pay for your books for your college when he could mm-hmm. actually just pay for the whole thing and it would be nothing. <laughs> that makes sense. Yes, totally. He's like a very, I mean, he's just an iconic looking person. So when he, you open on him and you see him, you're just like, you feel intimidated, but also like you want him to approve of you and get, and you want to get close to him. He's just very like s- severe looking but then if you get past it he seems like he would be so lovely and nice yeah yeah like the kind of nice where even if you were arrested and being tried for murder he'd let you keep coming to work and hold your office for you like that truly kind of yeah super truly <laughs> look i was tickled to see mccoy again but we mm-hmm. did not get the patented Jack McCoy, head quivering indignation that we have come to know. Closest we got was when like Peter refused to eat half of his hot dog or whatever it was, right? <laughs> right. He yeah. was like very upset about that. You're going to sit here. You will eat these nitrites, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we have a Hey, It's That Guy. Hey, it's that guy. Uh, who is playing Peter Stone? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Do we know him? Who's that guy? It's the uh, guy who plays Peter Stone. Name him. I don't know. <laughs> oh, wow. Wait, I just forgot his name, even though I I know I watched seasons of, of him or a season yeah. of him. Ben. That's f- no. No, that's Philip Winchester. Oh, Philip that's right. Winchester. If we as a society ignore it, we are saying that murder is no longer absolutely wrong. Condoning it in one case would allow us to condone it in any case, and that would be capricious. So he played Sergeant Stonebridge on the Showtime action series Strike Back. Mm. He originated Peter Stone on Chicago Justice for half a season, killed that show, then stuck around for 35 more cringeworthy episodes (laughs) as this character. Yeah. Look, how much of our disdain for Stone was simply the fact that he replaced Barba, like Amaro replaced Stabler? Can I answer this first? All right, you first. Okay, for the first five minutes, it was 100% that. And for the rest 35 hours, it was that his character fucking sucked. Yeah. Every episode, you didn't know who you were going to get. It was like, you know, indignant guy who's taking care of his, you know, mentally ill sister. Or it was sleazy guy who goes to strip clubs. Or it was father figure to Noah. Or, I mean, it was never the same. It was never consistent. It was totally retconning of Ben Stone, retconning of everything, and retconning of himself every single episode. He just sucked. Plus, terrible actor. Gabby, your thoughts? Uh, he sucked. Uh, he... (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, he's very handsome, I guess, uh, in, like, a way that I I don't care for. Uh, and, like, I just, I think a lot, I think a lot of it was that we missed Barba, but Barba, it, it, it highlighted how much of a complex and rich and, like, well done character Barba was, and how much, um, Raul Esparza, like, brought to the role to then see someone after him who you were like oh no it's not the ADAs it's it's the particular performance of this person and the like rich writing of Barba who I think was created by Warren Light yeah right yes. was he the yeah so like it did so then to have this person come in who was like so white bread and so like not 
I think we would have, if they had brought in someone different, I don't think we would have hated them as much. I don't know, like, we would have gotten over the Barba leaving, I think, at some point. But because he wasn't as, as like, complex and rich and, like, a fu- as fun of a character, we just didn't care. All right, let's take a look at our Hey, It's That Girl. Hey, it's that girl. Who is playing discount Reese Witherspoon, Maggie Householder? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no idea. The name of the actress? No. Don't know. His doctors say that he has no brain activity. He is a lump of flesh. My beautiful lump of flesh. He should get the peace that we all deserve. Yeah, that's Abigail Hawk. She played Detective uh, Baker on Blue Bloods for 10 seasons. Hmm. Uh, The last time she was on SVU, she played Paramedic Number 2. Good for her. So I guess that fixed everything in Hollywood, right? She was good in this episode. I mean, she was probably the only good thing about this episode. (laughs) Let's be real. (laughs) I love that that she was on a show for 10 seasons that went on for 10 seasons. And I was like, that was a show. And also this person was on it. (laughs) (laughs) That's what happens with our Blue Bloods guest stars. Is it a CBS show? It is on CBS. Every time, every single time, I'm like, yeah. I've never heard of that show. I don't know anybody who watches it. It's always a CBS show. I don't even show. think you know the CBS channel here. <laughs> yeah. What's the number? Uh, okay, good enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so McCoy and Stone uh, give us some fan service. Stone catches McCoy having lunch on a courthouse bench, and he says, I was just coming to say hi. My first wife made me promise to never eat at my desk. I thought it was good advice. And I'm like, bitch, did you forget 16 seasons of pizza (laughs) and Chinese food boxes? You and Claire Kincaid ate at your desk all the damn time. Yeah. All the time. Every fucking thing. (laughs) Thai, Chinese, sushi, big pizza, dish pizza. Well, he says my first first wife said, and I was like, all right, what a flex. Cool flex. All right, so Barbara goes to intensive care to meet, as Maggie put it, her little lump of flesh. Mm. Uh-huh. And we have heard that Barbara had the chance to ease his dying father's suffering, and he didn't. So he tries to comfort her. <laughs> Why? Why can't he just die? Why? <laughs> he can. So she won't push the button. He kicks her out, blesses the baby like he's the fucking bishop, mm. yeah. and then everything fades to black. Mm. This is also a retconning of the backstory of Barbara's father, where yep. he says seven years ago or something, dad, blah, blah, blah. Uh, then in another episode, he said his dad died like 15 years ago or something. He's His dad had a totally different backstory. But that's this whole like Peter Stone seasons. Mm-hmm. Like it's like the writers were like all like left. Yeah. And they brought in a bunch of like college students who were just like writing fan fiction about Law and Order to write SVU. For, no, like, the people who write fan fiction know more about the show than the writers do. <laughs> the people who write fan fiction are the ones who are like, um, Barbara's father actually, blah, blah, blah. And I'm <laughs> True. like, can't you guys, don't you guys have like Bibles about each character where you can like see... You know, like, at least remember, like, what they've done or their families or anything. Like, that's... How do you, how do I remember things about your own show better than you do? It took 20 seasons 
for us to learn that Ice T's mother got killed in a drive-by shooting, mm, true. and that he grew up with a famous rapper. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I have a really important question. Uh, yeah, I, I doubt it, but go ahead. Do they not have and and at NBC or Dick Wolf's disposal a medical consultant who can point out that a life-sustaining ventilator in a patient's room does not simply have a toggle switch that anybody could reach over right. and click, boom. It's just not how it works. Yeah. Now, fortunately, what we have is a plastic baby with a CPAP mask on. Pretty much. In a, <laughs> yeah. in a plastic case. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Gabby, that's intensive care. <laughs> and it just looks like it's back room care. And you can just play your own music, apparently, for yeah. everyone to hear. Yeah. <laughs> also, like, wouldn't it start beeping? Right away when you t- when you <laughs> that was the intensive part I thought yeah and the yeah. nurses will like be there and be like what's happening you know like what I don't know I've seen Grey's Anatomy like don't doesn't stuff start like beeping and being like code blue code black or whatever when things uh, yes. turn off or go wrong am I look I didn't not go to medical school to not be an expert <laughs> I think that's why they faded to black because they didn't want to have the scene where all the people come in they're like what happened Barbara's like I don't know <laughs> in a fast paced world every day brings new challenges and new opportunities at Strayer University we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change for over 130 years we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Now let's look at the second half of this episode. Barba, who just killed a baby, shows up at work the next day, <laughs> and Liv is pissed. Rafa. What the hell? Latte, right? I don't want coffee. You killed the baby? I expedited his passing. That's going to be a tough hair to split in a courtroom. The courtroom's the last thing I was thinking of when I was in that hospital room. You could go to prison. You don't think I know that? Sometimes you have to act without concern for the consequences. Not you. You wear suspenders and a belt. I had no option. I got to fix this. Live. Live. McCoy says he's appointing Peter Stone to prosecute Barbara's second-degree murder case, and Liv is pissed. <laughs> Meantime, Barbara has hired the sleaziest lawyer he's ever seen. Stone grills Maggie on the stand, saying, Hey, you had your chance to get an abortion. No take-backsies. Barbara's defense is that he hastened the baby's death because, oh, the sweet pain of life. Mm. His condition will never let him experience the jury acquits Barba, but he resigns his post and leaves the show. Okay, the title of this episode is The Undiscovered Country. It comes from Hamlet's soliloquy in which, contemplating death, he says, The undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns puzzles the will, which confirms my suspicion that SVU is written by high school juniors. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, so this second half is patently absurd. <laughs> it is the most insane, stupidest thing I have. Okay, so hold on. So a major, 
ADA is on trial for murder. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there's no press there. Nobody's making, like, nobody's swarming him. He just goes back to work. Also, he hires a lawyer that uh, we don't know or care about when he's good friends with Rita Calhoun and he's had other (laughs) lawyers that he's very good friends with that he would maybe want to hire. Also, maybe those people would want to show up to the trial because they're friends with him. Also, where the hell are Rollins and Carisi and Finn, who have also known this person for six years? Also, he's he's not... His trial just happens immediately. Mm, like all trials. Yeah. Like all trials. <laughs> also, they acquit him within like five seconds, which uh, they don't even like have jury deliberations. Like I... I watch a lot of true crime and like it takes forever to get a trial. It takes forever for the jury to like, you know, come up with an answer and for everyone to to show it to show the exhibits and make their, you know, opening and closing statements like this. The fact that they made all of this happen within 15 minutes is truly bananas. Yeah. How fast is this trial going? Because Stone and Barba are still in their suits from that funeral. (laughs) Yeah, it's like fully nuts. And then like. He's getting, he gets acquitted and then they just are like, okay. And it's not like this is in the news. This is like a huge thing. Nope. No. Pretty low key. Let me tell you something. The only thing that would have made this maybe okay is if it was like a family that Barba had known for years. If it was like. That guy who ran for mayor. (laughs) Like the guy who ran for mayor. Like if it was like. A friend of Barba's that he had known for years and this was their baby or something. Something to make me think that Barba would maybe do this. Barba would never do this. Also, right. this is not the way that like a trial would ever go. And also like, uh, why wasn't anyone there to support him other than Liv? And also, second degree murder is a huge fucking deal. no it's not (laughs) this episode makes no sense (laughs) yeah the law part of this is kind of crazy McCoy introduces Liv to Stone who's going to prosecute her friend and he holds out his hand and she doesn't take it and she says I sure hope you suck well, you got your wish because he really sucks. He sucks hard. He doesn't even try, eh? What a way to introduce us to this character, too. They didn't even give him a shot. Like, they weren't like, fans, like, he's he's a good, you know, you're going to like him, blah, blah, blah. They were like, fans, he's going to prosecute your literal favorite. Uh, <laughs> hope you like him. But he played baseball. He did not have a shot in hell because we were all just like, he's going to come in and stab the person that you love. But um, I hope you like him. What? (laughs) Well, there's also like a lot of anvil dropping where Olivia like tells us she's not going to like Peter Stone ever in this episode by saying to Jack McCoy about Barbara that he's my favorite ADA I ever worked with. Right. Which. Wow. Fuck Alex Cabot then. Huh. And Casey. Fuck them all. (laughs) I guess so. Fuck Casey Novak. So it's only after his trial. When, and where he's still likely to be disbarred, that he starts emptying out his office. Yeah. And then everyone, and then Jack's like, you don't have to quit. Uh, yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> you do realize half my job is stopping people who work here from doing something stupid. Well, now you have one less person to worry about. You don't have to do this, Raphael. I know. What are you going to do? Would it be unbearably corny if I said I'm going to do what I must Yes, it would. But I understand. 
Like you said, it's unbecoming to kill a baby. <laughs> By the way, if Carmichael or Kincaid had smothered a, a baby, McCoy would have blown his fucking top off. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Who gives you? Seren- Serena Sutherland had feelings and got fired. Yeah, Truly. <laughs> of Truly. course, that was because she was a lesbian, but we digressed. Is this because I'm a lesbian? Yeah, right, God, right. It would have been so great if, like, if he was like fired after all of this and then Barbara was like, is it because I'm bisexual? <laughs> what a cool callback that would have been. <laughs> it would be funny, but of course they would have said, no, it's because you killed a baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It's just so stupid. Also, like, you don't think like Rollins, who has kids, and like Carisi, who's diehard Catholic, would have had thoughts or something to say about yeah. this entire thing going on with their friend of like six years? It's just yeah. like so weird. Well, you brought up sort of our favorite exit, Serena Sutherland. Mm. Yeah. And, and this is actually relevant because because I heard an interview with Serena Sutherland talking about that. It's not her real name. No, anyway. it's right. The actress <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth well, Rome. And she said that Dick Wolf came to her and said, okay, you know, your contract's done. You're going to be leaving. Do you want to go out with a bang or a, a whimper? And she said, let's go out with a bang. And I'm assuming that's what happened here with Raul Esparza. His contract was up on the 13th episode of this season, this particular season. He decided he wanted to do something else. And Dick Wolf probably said, do you want to just walk off or do you want a big exit? Like Cabot had. And then he was like, he was like, yes, I want a big exit. And then when they showed him the script, he was like, not like that. Not like that. I take it back. I take it back. <laughs> Is it too late to scratch this out? <laughs> but I will say the writers do give Barba a wonderful farewell speech to Olivia. You know, when we first started working together, what was it, five years ago? Six. <sighs> the world was an old movie. It was all black and white and it was high noon. I was Gary Cooper. <laughs> absolutely sure absolutely who were the good guys who were the bad guys and then you you started to weasel your way into my world and the black and white became different shades of gray before i knew it there were blues and greens and yellows and reds i'm you now live you opened my heart and i thank you for it Look, the law part of this episode is bananas, but I th- I honestly think with so many dramatic speeches and performance, I think this is one of the best SVU episodes oh, ever. No. You're bananas. You're, you're no. wrong. I'm wrong? No, I'm not we wrong. We were watching it, and you said that to me, and I burst out laughing because I thought you were making a hardcore joke. You're wrong. There's nothing good right. about this episode except... Every time Raul Spars is on the screen. No, it's bad. The speech at the end is, <sighs> once again, look, I get that Olivia is the heart of the show. But like, once again, it's not about him. He's giving this speech saying goodbye. And he's just like patting Olivia on the back and being like, you're the best. Thanks for doing this for me. Now I'm disbarred. Uh, but at least I, I uh, have a moral gray area now. Okay, bye. Like, it is so, he doesn't say word one about, like, himself without a connection to her, which is, like, written by a narcissist, I think. It just doesn't make any sense with Barbara's character at all. He cares about appearances. He cares about how his status. I mean, he worked his way up from the Bronx 
from like a, a bad, you know, his bad neighborhood, he like made it out to become very successful. And like, that's a thing that his family, like his family, you know, cares about. And he's like seen as this success story. And he worked so hard for that. And like, we know that about the character that he like suffered a lot of racism at Harvard and all this shit. And then he just walks away from it. And he's happy about that. He's like, I'm a better person. And he like smiles and walks away. What are you talking about, dude? (laughs) There's so much more going on for you. This is so weird. There's another very, very weird and out of place moment with the whole SVU universe that happens like near the end of this episode when Olivia confronts Peter on the courthouse steps and says to him, you don't have kids, do you? You don't have kids, do you? Like as if that would change the fact that he was told to prosecute this case, right? <laughs> right, But exactly. also, the reason that stuck out to me was because Elliot said that to her a, million a freaking fucking million times. fucking yeah. times. And it was sexist and she hated it. And it was, she was always so resentful when she didn't have a kid of anybody that would say to her, like, you wouldn't understand. You don't have kids. To have that word, those lines come out of her mouth, to me, was one of the most egregious things about this episode and a long list of egregious things. So, Kevin, tell us more about why you loved it so much. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I thought the individual performances were very good. It's... I think it was one of the more dramatic, and I found it a more satisfying way of bidding adieu to a character up there with Claire Kincaid's sudden car accident death in uh, in Original Recipe Law and Order. You know, I thought it made more sense than faking your death, hmm. like Al Capitan <laughs> with all the squibs and everything. Oh my god! Uh, but I thought, I thought there were a lot, a lot of you know, emotional speeches more so than you usually get on SVU. Yes, the trial crime line was fucking nuts. Yeah, but I thought the individual performances and, and giving Barba a really a plus send off, I think made it really good. You know what I think the best part of the episode was? What? When he goes to meet with his sleazy defense lawyer <laughs> and tells him, they're talking about uh, having him having killed the baby, and the lawyer goes, What did the little bastard do to you? This is a mistake. Okay, okay. I'll skip the whole self-defense angle. I'm going to go with the self-defense. <laughs> 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 we very recently had a via Skype mm. cameo yep. Yep. by Raul, who reprised Barba for 60 seconds. He's got a beard. He's into election fraud. <laughs> so things he does are have good a with beard. him. Hey, I want to say that when this episode came out, Twitter exploded. Yeah. People were, I thought, yeah. inconsolable. And I made the mistake. I'm trying to be comforting. Mm. And I was like, guys, just remember, he didn't really die. He's a real <laughs> character. He's a real person. He's fine. And people looked at me like I said he was a Nazi. Yeah. And I got I yeah. got such slap back. I was like, ooh, sorry, I misjudged Sorry that. I dissed your fan fictional favorite fictional DA yeah. guys. People were upset that <laughs> none of the fan fiction was going to happen. Yeah. There was a big pe- uh, group of people who wanted Barisi. Mm. And nobody was more upset than me. Gabby Dunn. <laughs> I was like yeah. very, very mad about the lack of Barisi. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? 
Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit sling.com to see your offer. Sling. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. This episode is inspired by the 2017 case of baby Charlie Gard. The London infant was born with a rare genetic disease that is fatal to infants. The two-month-old child was taken to hospital where physicians discussed end-of-life care with Charlie's parents. A New York neurologist said he had an experimental treatment, but British doctors advised there was no hope for recovering. The guards wanted to try the American researchers' treatment and began raising money to transfer the baby to New York. Charlie's medical team in London believed the experiments would only prolong his suffering, and when it seemed the parents would bring their son to the US, anyway, the hospital petitioned to the High Court of Justice to stop them. The court sided with the hospital, saying further treatment was not in the best interest of the terminally ill baby. Charlie's parents appealed. Publicity around this right-to-die case spread worldwide, with celebrities, politicians and religious leaders weighing in. During the appeals process, the New York researcher travelled to London for the first time to examine Charlie. He determined it was too late for his treatment to work. The guards agreed to remove Charlie from life support, and the 11-month-old boy died minutes later. Who should make the determination of end-of-life support for an infant? The parents or the doctors or the government? Rebecca, what do you think? I think it definitely depends on the situation, Kevin. I don't think that's a blanket question with a blanket answer. But I do think that probably the heaviest voice that should be weighed are the end-of-life palliative care experts that have spent their entire careers trying to understand uh, what's terminal, what's not. Do you have a child, Rebecca? (laughs) Do you even have kids? (laughs) Gabby, there are those people who will just say, it's the parent's right and duty to make that decision and nobody else's. What do you think? Oh, I think um, a random ADA that you've met once should uh, be the person to make that decision for you. Um, I think they should choose an ADA out of a hat, and then that's Mm. who gets to decide. Amen. I kind of think the the parents part of me, I mean, but then I think it's like very easy to abuse that where parents um, might be told, oh, there actually is hope, but the parents are like, "Eh, you know what, let's start over. I don't really want this kid. So like, yeah, I I can see where it might get like part. I'm inclined to say the parents, but then it's hard because they might not make the right decisions either because of emotions or because of like 
this sort of ableist idea of like, I don't I don't want to have to take care of a child that isn't like typical, you know. But then get the parents thing also gets such a slip, the slippery slope of things like anti-vaxxerism and also into the Ugh. slippery slope of the, like those, uh, you know, religious cults who don't believe in any medical treatment at all for anything because it's up yep. to yeah. the parents. It's a slippery slope. Yeah, the child has civil rights, even if it's yes. an infant and can't make its yeah. own decision. Look, is there wisdom in offering hope to parents for an experimental treatment for an incurable disease? What do you mean is there wisdom in it? Well, this is what medical ethicists talked about after this. They said there was no hope yeah. of, of recovery and that this was not the thing a medical professional should have done. Inserted yeah. himself in this case with a very random hope yeah. of you know something not tested yeah. and that it prolonged prolong the child's suffering. Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, this is different than saying, like, say you're a pediatrician in the United States and you see an outbreak of some very curable thing happening mm-hmm. in a country without a lot of health care. Uh, it's very different than saying, like, say, hey, like, fly me over there, get me some resources. Uh, we can help with this. We have a vaccine for exactly. measles. That or, is yeah. different than saying... If only you were here, I could try this long shot thing on you. Because there's also like the whole, you have to weigh the fact that these parents are probably desperate, right? Mm-hmm. And that yeah. they have this like, like very emotionally invested and not letting go. It just seems kind of a crappy thing to do. Yeah, and Gabby, the AMA says that no one can demand non-beneficial treatment simply because they're paying for it out of pocket. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I was really, the argument for me was like that the baby was in pain. Because sometimes you can't know. A lot of times with people in vegetative states, it's like hard to, they have, they grapple with. It's hard to know how much pain they're in or how much they're aware of or if if they're in pain. Um, And so like, you know, then it's that sort of right to die kind of stuff that comes into with like people with terminal cancer or people, I don't know, because I don't want to like get into a precedent of like, well, if your baby's, you know, disabled in any way, chuck chuck them out. <laughs> like, but I also know that like we I think the problem is is that doctors will say, "Oh, it's incurable." And parents will go, "Well, I know more than you, and what if in 2 years there's a cure?" You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there's like this thing of like, "We'll keep them alive like frozen in time until maybe someone will come up with something." Yep. Um and like usually that they won't come up with something. Now in favor of letting them at least try the experimental treatment were strange bedfellows Donald Trump and yep. Pope Francis. I remember and, that. And one of them did so by tweet. Pope Francis tweeted out his thoughts and <laughs> prayers for the family. That's true. Perfect. You know, hashtag blessed. Mm. Perfect. But wait, the Pope's meme game is really strong. He has that girl uh, who says Ermagerd. Yeah. Burbos. No. Does he? Are you lying? Totally lying. That oh is going to do it for us. We want to thank Gabby Dunn for joining us. Gabby, how can our listeners follow you online? Sure. Uh, I'm at Gabby Road on Instagram and at Gabby Dunn on Twitter. Um, and then the Bad With Money podcast is uh, anywhere you can find your podcast. Sorry, I, I just came here to scream about hating this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we loved it. Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you? They can find me at I Miss Barba. Just kidding. It's at Reb Lavoy on Twitter and Instagram. And the Pope is at Pontifex. <laughs> and you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You also can tweet to us at Law and Order Pod. 
or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freider. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoie. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. Get your first month free at stitcherpremium.com slash crime. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the Yoga Loft above the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.